I'm Chris. And I'm James. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? My name's Chris Hall and I want to plug a shoelace knot that was discussed at the beginning of episode 53 called, I think, the Ian knot. It's really, really fast and I'm amazed by it. Yeah, my wife did this too and she's keep, she says she keeps meaning to show me. Like I was, I saw, I went to this website about the knot and I saw this animated heath that showed somebody tying the knot and it was really fast, but I was like, yeah, you probably have to like train for years to get that good at it. But uh, according to my wife, you can just do it. So um, I, I have a story about knots where like for the longest time I didn't want to tie my shoes and I wanted Velcro shoes. Yeah. And then, like, one day I just looked it up on a website and it's like, some, surely somebody knows good ways of tying knots. And I found, you know, this knot enthusiast website. And it's like, here's the, the best shoelace knots. And he ranked them all. We might be talking about the same site. So I picked the one that he said, oh, this is one that's easy. And I'm like, yeah, I want easy. Uh-huh. And, and it worked. And I think I've used that knot. I might have... I don't know. Maybe I changed what I'm doing at some point, but it, the knot I'm using now works. Do you tie in less than a second? Yes. Wow. It's got to be the same one. Or you're just really, really good at it. Okay. This this knot has now been plugged three separate times on this podcast. Yeah. Independently. Can we get a sponsorship? Ian Knot. First of all, if we're going to if we're going to advertise for you in the future, you have to pay us for the times we've already advertised for you just to get that out of the way. But I'm ready to make this deal. I, I, I told myself, well, I didn't have to tell myself this. It's not like I was trying to like coax myself into doing a podcast. But I, I never thought I would have ads on the show. But I would have an ad for the Ian Knot. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have. <laughs> You've had a couple. Yeah. Three exactly. Yeah. And James, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll plug my uh, HIO page. So triplefox.itch.io. And I host some games, various projects. Like we have plans to talk about projects I'm working on on this, this show. So I'll get into that later. Cool. Uh, let's get into some topics. Chris, your topic is an adopted microwave, which is too small for popcorn. Begging the question, what is it for? So <laughs> when I moved... Uh, the last place that I lived in, I moved about a year ago. The last place I lived in had a microwave built in, which was super fancy. It was also gigantic, which was awesome. And then I lived in my current place for a, like two months without a microwave, maybe even longer than that. And then one Sunday morning, I look outside and I see this guy just walk walking down the street with a microwave, like from the the far side of the street and then he kind of like looks left looks right looks left make sure nobody's watching him and then just puts this microwave down right in front of my building and then just like quickly hurries off (laughs) Um, which it was already kind of strange and i was like wow what a weird thing to see and then i'm like eating breakfast and then i'm like oh wait i want that and then so i went downstairs and got it uh and it's great because i got a microwave for free which is a lot better than the like $10 $10 microwave I was expecting to get from Craigslist again, which I've done before. And yeah, it was awesome until I tried to put popcorn in it, which I would argue is one of the chief functions of a microwave. And 
it just like held the bag in place because it was too small for the bag to turn all the way around. And then it just like started burning. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just started turning black. So now I'm really sad. Like it's good for leftovers, but no popcorn. And I, I had bought at the store like a big bag of popcorn, like one of the huge boxes. Yeah. Uh, because I was so excited to be able to eat popcorn again. And now I can't eat any of it. You can, you can make it on the stovetop. You can do that with the bags? Well, maybe not. I don't know. I'm sure somebody's researched this topic. That's very true. The, the thing about it is it's not that much smaller than a regular microwave, which is why I didn't think twice about it when I lugged it up the stairs because it's like it's still a microwave. It's still big, but it's like barely too small for these bags. And it's just like <laughs> whose idea was that? Like, I know that tiny bags exist. I tried getting slightly smaller than normal bags, but those also don't turn. So, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting this, this idea of like a dollhouse microwave. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, if you look at it, like I'm looking at it and it looks just like a microwave. Like maybe if I like saw your microwave, I'd be like, whoa, that's huge. So you could, you could still microwave the popcorn like one kernel at a time. That's true. Uh, or maybe Why didn't I think of that? Or like pour it into a bowl. I mean, if it really was a dollhouse microwave, then it would be the perfect size for doing one kernel at a time. Yeah. Yeah. But you would need to have super tiny popcorn kernels for the dolls to eat. <laughs> Which would be incredible. <laughs> Could there be like an easy bake microwave? <laughs> like for kids. <laughs> it sounds like maybe you could make it safe if you tried to... I don't know, secure it very tightly. Right. You can microwave like like your hot chocolate in, in like a shot glass. Like I would be impressed if I were a kid and I had this tiny microwave. That is a good point. Oh man, the idea of having I don't know if you if you know people who like as as teenagers or as children had a TV in their own room oh, and, that, yeah. and that being a big deal. Like imagine, imagine having a microwave in your own room. There's, there's yeah. one in the kitchen, of course, but you've got your own. It's not as good, but it's yours. Y'all aren't going to believe this. I can finally microwave my, my tiny teen-sized bags of popcorn in my Easy Bake microwave, which I have put right next to my Easy Bake TV, which I also <laughs> have in my room. It's about the same size. <laughs> the Easy Bake TV is just a light bulb that you stare into. <laughs> this is what you do when you downsize your lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's so like every tiny house has an easy bake microwave in it somewhere. This is like the logical conclusion of the trend that's been building for years. <laughs> the technology has always been there. I am I'm fascinated by the idea now of like miniaturized microwaves that are just good for like I don't know, a can of Coke. Uh there's a couple reasons why a microwave <laughs> wouldn't be good for a can of coke. <laughs> well, you know, you don't you don't like hot coke. Yeah, that's the main reason. I well, okay. You know, immediately I'm like, no, I don't want hot coke. But I don't know, maybe it's not bad. <laughs> maybe I'll try that after this. That's one thing that I can fit in my microwave is like a mug full of coke. I'll I'll let you know what happens. <laughs> I got nothing better to do tonight and I'm not going to drink the Coke otherwise oh man, probably. It's, it's too bad we don't have an intermission on this show. <laughs> A video intermission. Yeah, right, that's right. right. Well, we can do it as we can do it for the after party. Yeah, you, you do an update later and have some like images and stuff. Right. And emojis. Yeah, everybody will want to see that. 
So the the Whirlpool WMC two thousand five YW is half a cubic foot, which seems pretty small to me. I have no intuitive sense for how big half of a cubic foot would be. Right. <laughs> it does sound very small though. Also, doesn't Whirlpool make like washing machines? Oh, maybe maybe it's a 0.5 cubic foot hot tub actually. <laughs> uh, also goes in the dollhouse. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they just make stuff that spins. Sure, that would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> it fits the name. Be a tough sell to the R&D department like listen, we got a wheels, uh washing machines. You got to make the hot tub spin around somehow. I don't know. The Whirlpool hot tub thing like does it really spin? It's debatable, but Probably more than a regular hot tub. Maybe the the jets of water are just angled so that the water spins. Yeah, that seems like a smart way to make a spinning hot tub. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, I'm ready. We'll get back to this one after the show. Yes. Oh yeah, we're going to record another entire episode after this that only we get to hear. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) James, your topic is what happened to Galapagos? And by your topic, I mean... The one we asked you before the show started that we decided should be your topic. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's first talk about what Galapagos was going into this, which um, I had this idea where I was like, oh, I'm going to make a fantasy console. It'll be like Pico, except it'll be done my way and I'll do it with these various principles in mind. And I'm like, okay, it'll be sustainable. It'll be linear. I didn't know what linear was going to be. I didn't know what... The third one was going to be, it was like, oh, musical, I'll make it musical. And so I kind of just proceeded along making something with those principles in mind and got it to the point where it was like, like you could make games in it. You could like write some code and things would appear on screen and it would take input and it would play sound. And I was demoing it a little bit to people and they were like, yeah, that looks cool. And then I finally got to the part where I'm like, okay, well, what's the tool set going to look like? And what I realized was that I had this whole other set of work that would have to take place to have like a tool set I was happy with. And around the same time, this was March, uh, you know, pandemic was starting. And I was like, well, I have time to think about this. and. Uh, like for the next few months, I would like spend my idle hours thinking about, okay, exactly where am I going with Galapagos now? Philosophizing about it. And what, what I concluded with after trying all, all these various different things, what, what, what was I really going for? And the first principle that like I had started with is like, okay, sustainable. What does, what does it mean to have like this fantasy console that's sustainable? And at first I was like, oh, you know, like, Maybe that means it lasts a long time. Then it was like, okay, how do you make software last a long time? It's one of those essential questions of computing. I believe we've addressed this on Topic Lawyers before. You make it for the NES. Yeah. And and it's like, okay, yeah, you just design it towards an emulator. So that, that sent me down this road of like, oh, okay, so like I'll do like, I'll target some existing format that's well supported. And I was like, well, maybe it's, you know, there's new stuff that's coming out, like maybe WebAssembly would work. And I tried WebAssembly and I'm like, no, actually, it doesn't work at all. And the reason for that is like, because then you bring all the web browser associated stuff, which is 
huge and nobody understands all of it. It's just like the code works today. Who knows if it'll work tomorrow? It's not sustainable. So, So then I'm like, okay, well, maybe doing a source target will work. So I'm like, oh, maybe if you have it like emit JavaScript or Lua or something. Um, and that got me further along because that did solve like a certain aspect of the problem in that like, oh, it, like if the source is interpreted in the same way, then it works everywhere. And, and you can you can kind of see at this point that I was way off of the the goal of like, oh, making tools for this fantasy console. And so I, like, I, I was just like, okay, well, I'll keep going in this direction and, and think about like, okay, like source formats. So, so that's good. But what about input output? How do you take input? How do you draw things? And that at that point, I ended up with this theory of like, what's going on here is called what I call the terrarium problem. So it's like a little, in your, in your computer, you have this little ecosystem of software. And the larger the ecosystem is, the more stuff you can do. So you think of like your whole operating system, Windows, Linux, whatever. And it's like you can do pretty much everything with hardware that's possible to do. But like it's a whole operating system. And so like in terms of sustaining it, you're not going to do that on your own. It's kind of assumed that somebody else is doing that work somewhere. What would be more sustainable is if you, you had a terrarium that's small enough that you could reconstruct it. That, that was kind of the line of thinking where it's like, um, okay, so how do you make a smaller terrarium? And eventually I came to this conclusion that, okay, like I just have to break it down to not really a complete environment, but a set of libraries, which is kind of like this inversion of the problem. Because instead of saying, oh, I'm going to bundle all these things into a fantasy console and it'll all just work and it'll be supported forever, I'm saying, here are these very small like formats and I'll make tools to work with them. And I'll provide example code that'll get, let you get it working in environments today. And then at some point down the road, eventually that code will probably stop working. The formats will still be there. The specifications will still be there. So you can reconstruct it. And so like narrowing things down to that singular goal like has completely changed what the project is. But I'm kind of happy with it. After after reaching that conclusion, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break now and I'm going to work on pinball. <laughs> and that was, okay. Yeah, this is this was the topic that I was originally going to talk about before we talked about Galapagos, which is like, okay, I'm going to do a pinball simulation. I had had this on my mind for a while, and I've kind of been just studying the game for a while and interested in like covering it from different angles. And I think that's kind of what's motivating me to go deep into like making a whole simulation. I think it was sometime in September that I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do it now. And I chose like a game that I was going to target for like emulating. So I chose one called El Dorado, which is from 1975. And it's, you know, a pretty simple electromechanical game. It has a lot of drop targets. It has two pop bumpers and, you know, it has uh, some flippers. So uh, I was like, okay, there's no ramps, there's no toys, there's no, like, 
goofy things that makes the game more three-dimensional, which I don't want to get into emulating at this point. I just wanted to do like the basic mechanisms. Right, right. Even doing that much and like trying to get it accurately, that's been a, a reasonably difficult challenge. And it's just because like each of these mechanisms, I have to figure out a way to do it that's different from how it's done in real life. Do you mean just because you don't have a ball bearing bouncing around inside of your phone? Yeah, yeah, basically. So let me give an example. Near the lower play field, just above the flippers in most games, you see these two triangles, and those are the slingshot bumpers. And when the ball touches them, somehow they like push the ball out very rapidly. And what's actually going on in real life is that, you know, there's rubber around some posts. And when the ball touches the rubber, it actually pushes it in a bit and triggers um, a mechanism that fires a coil. And then the coil hits a kicker and the kicker pushes the rubber back outwards. And this is rubber deformation, which is a thing that existing physics simulations do not do very well. And they especially don't do it well when you're trying to make it like be extremely rapid and you know run at a rate that's playable for a video game. So of course, what you're going to have to do is cheat. Right, right. Like I, I mean, obviously, what you do is you just apply an impulse when the ball hits the the collision box. Yeah, and and like you can do that, but you know, here's the thing: is like if you're trying to do it accurately you start noticing all these details. Like you can find slow motion video of, of most of the pinball mechanisms. And with the slingshot, what happens is the kicker doesn't cover like the entire area of the, the slingshot rubber. It covers this tiny portion so that when it pushes out, what you get is this wedge shape. So it's not like just a flat pushing out the ball. It's like angled depending on where the ball hit. And presumably, if like the kicker hits right where the ball is touching the rubber, then it gets pushed much harder. Yeah, yeah. And so you you definitely see that actual effect when you go and play a real game. Is is like depending on where it touches, it might not actually kick it very hard. So the thing I did, like I tried a bunch of different things with like pushing down on the ball, pushing outwards on the ball, using like hinges and stuff. And finally, I just ended up with a relatively simple thing which is you have a modeled web wedge shape and you hide it inside the triangle of the slingshot and then you don't have a deformation but you do have a wedge that's pushing out which is close enough that i can't tell the difference and this this process repeats for all the mechanisms it's just like yeah you have to you have to come up with a one-off solution for every single thing did you try running uh, like box 2D at, I don't know, like 10,000 hertz <laughs> to see what kind of simulation <laughs> you would get at that point? No, but I am running. So Godot uses, it actually has two 3D physics engines, but it has bullet physics. So I'm using that one. And I'm actually running that at 240 hertz. Is that 2D or 3D? That's 3D. Okay. So uh, like it's... It's a relatively high resolution already. Yeah. Which I'm happy about because I'm like, yes, I, I want to have a high resolution pinball game. But at the same time, already aware that I'm not using 
the state of the art techniques because recently I learned of like this like research paper where it's like, oh, here's this new physics solver. It does um, mixed rigid and soft body deformation. And it's like showing this this demo where it's like the, this uh, buggy, like an ATV, is like bouncing around at hills, and it's like the tires deform perfectly. And we're like, oh, that's kind of what I want to be using. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, and then it shows one where it's like, oh, and it preserve it, like it, it does the restitution of balls that collide against each other, and it has this this demonstration of like balls on like wire form ramps essentially and they're like knocking into each other and they they stay on the ramp perfectly i'm like oh that sounds very useful for pinball games yeah but uh realistically i'm not going to be able to use it if as long as i'm like focused on the engineering of everything else in a pinball game right yeah because it is like a new thing there was also the point you made earlier where it's that sounds really cool and I want to look that up. But also you're like the entire interaction of the wedge launcher lasting like 0. 0.0 whatever seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of tuning involved in like, okay, uh, when it's very rapid, you don't even know how to tune it because you're, you're given like this abstraction of how physics works where it's like it put in your units. And what, there's a lot of stuff that I've had to do with like finding dimensions of things in trying to make an accurate simulation. So I actually ordered, I ordered some actual pinball parts because I was like, I cannot find the exact size of uh, various models of flippers. Like it'll say in the listing, three inch flipper. And you're like, three inches of what? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I get the flipper and it is three inches long. But then, like, you know, flippers have these rounded edges to them. So you're like, how big are those? And you might be able to estimate it by looking at a photo, but I was like, well, I want to get it exact. And then it turns out it is a pretty straightforward, like, fractions of an inch measurement. It's stuff that, like, I'm kind of sure it's, it's, it's a certain size but I can't find any data on it. So I just have to get it myself. That's super interesting. Do you, do you have to model the, the like rubber sh- slapping around on the, on the flippers somehow? Yeah. So I haven't actually gotten to modeling the flippers correctly right now. Their shape is kind of like, uh, uh, imagine like razor shaped flippers. Mm-hmm. Like they aren't just triangles, but they aren't rounded yet. I haven't, I just haven't gotten around to that. But they are the correct length. The, the one that really prompted me to order stuff was um, figuring out the pop bumpers. And this is the thing with the rounded mushroom shape thing that pushes the ball out. Yeah, right. like no, from no matter what angle it approaches, it pushes it back. Yeah, yeah. And so how those work? Because you can't just push a switch from one direction like most of these mechanisms. So what they do instead is at the base of it, there's something called a skirt. That's this little plastic piece. And it extends beneath the play field. And so when the ball rolls over the skirt, it angles it slightly. And that triggers a switch beneath the play field. So then, then it, you know, another coil can fire. And it fires what's called in a patent 
thrusters, but sometimes they're just called the ring. And so the thruster pushes down on the ball and it has this angled shape so that the ball doesn't get trapped inside the pop bumper. It, it gets pushed out. And this is another interaction that was incredibly difficult to find a way to model accurately because it, first of all, the skirt is exactly the kind of thing that you can't do in an existing physics engine well because it's relying on this circular shape that's kind of like rotating one direction and then rotating back the other way once the ball leaves. So eventually I just gave up on actually modeling the skirt correctly and made it a circular area. But then there's still the issue of like, how do you push out the ball correctly? And if you just add an impulse to the ball, it's really not believable at all. Because what you're relying on is like, in essence, like hundreds of very small contacts that happen as the thruster pushes down. And it's, you know, it's the sloped thing and there's pressure that's kind of squeezing the ball into the play field. So I was like, what's the simplest way I can do that? And eventually I, I decided probably uh, model a cone shape. And, you know, it's like an invisible cone that is like hovering over the area of the pop bumper. And then it drives itself down. And that's like, then I can adjust the slope and make sure that it's like not getting stuck. And that works reasonably well, but I still have to get the dimensions of everything correct because mm-hmm. I like, I do have the parts now. I just haven't gone, gone around to actually measuring them. But it is, it is like, it, there's a certain slope that they use, and I wasn't sure how steep it was. Plus, like, the exact height of things and um, how large the pop bumper cap is relative to everything else. It, these were all things that, like, I could not find good information on. So that, that kind of, yeah, that kind of describes where I'm at now. So your house is beginning to be filled with atomic pinball parts. Also, these parts are really expensive for what you're getting. Oh, no. Are they expensive because you're getting one of them instead of a a bulk order? See, you would think if you order in bulk, it would be significantly less expensive. But I looked at the listings for for a set of drop targets. And, you know, you can find... uh, I'm ordering from a place called Marco, which is apparently pretty reputable. If you order a set of, like, eight drop targets, and, you know, they're just like these plastic things that... You, the ball pushes into them and that spring like knocks them down. If you order a set of eight of them, if, depending on the game, you might be paying eighty dollars. Yeah. Wow. And and you know it, it's it's basically the same for everything else. It's like twelve dollars to get a pop bumper assembly without the cap. The flippers are like five or six dollars just for the bat, and not you know the coils or other mechanisms. Whoa. It's, it's, it's just like, this is all very expensive. And that's why these machines cost a few thousand dollars new. Right. It's like, what's the, what's the profit margin on them? Well, maybe nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's neat. I mean, it sounds like since the bats are five or $6, it's not just because you're like buying a, a nice plastic skirt and rubber or and metal washer and also like an extremely high current solenoid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can, so you can find videos on YouTube where it's like, oh, here's a cardboard pinball and they make almost everything out of cardboard, like corrugated cardboard Whoa. and glue. 
And, you know, you can, you can actually do a lot with that. That should be a Nintendo Labo if it isn't. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally looks like the type of thing that you would see in Labo. It, it, like, you see, see the final result, and it actually looks pretty good. You know, it's, it's a pretty basic game, and you can, do, you can set up simple targets, and, like, if you get the ball in the hole, then it, like, rolls to the bottom through a tunnel, and you can see your score. So, like, I think that would be a cool um, project to work on at some point, too. But right now, I'm focused on, like, simulation pinball. Well, once once you have the simulation going, you can make, you know, as much as much of a play field as you want. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a cool thing because one of the restrict the, the interesting restrictions about um, physical pinball tables is that you have to be able to move them around three doors. <laughs> oh, that I <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Now I now I really want a pinball table inside of a wine bottle. Yeah, yeah. And so like the the largest they've gotten. Um, there was a game Atari made in like seventy nine or nineteen eighty when they were doing pinball, and they called it Hercules, and <laughs> it was literally just an upscaled pinball table. You know, the ball is bigger, the flippers are bigger, uh, everything about it is just a little bit bigger than a regular game. And this is one of those things where, like, I guess you need, like, a banana for scale because if you take a look at a photo of it, it just looks like a pinball table. Right. Man, now I just can't get over the thought that, like, all pinball tables are door-shaped. Because they totally are. I'm just, now I'm just imagining, you know, the, the arcade down the street, all these pinball tables going through the door at some point. Is that apply to, that must apply to skee-ball too. It's also kind of door-shaped. Yeah, I think so. I, like, you can definitely set up some things that are larger than a door, but I think they're like, you can break them down into pieces. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Dang, that's really interesting. I saw the the Slow Mo Guys YouTube channel posted a video about pinball that I watched like yesterday or the day before. Yeah. And I, my mind was just blown. Yeah, no, I, I did see that one because, just because I was like researching Slow Mo stuff. It's like, oh yeah, I need to see. You know, I think I was looking specifically for the drop targets, and I watched that video, and I don't remember seeing slow motion drop targets on that. But maybe I'm forgetting. No, I don't think there were. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's cool that that you're talking about it right now. Yeah, no, I I liked that video though, and and generally like uh, seeing all the mechanisms in slow motion is really cool because you see these little. It things things like the flippers and the rubber on them actually bouncing a bit. I never see that when I'm actually playing. Right. All I see is the game over <laughs> lights. Yeah. Within <laughs> like seconds of beginning. It must be possible to be good at pinball, right? People are good at that at it. Yeah. Because I'm not among them. I mean, since since I've been studying it, I've been also getting good at the gameplay. And like a lot of it comes down to first of all recognizing that most of these tables are out to kill you and the way to get around that is to try to adjust the trajectory of the ball so that it's not on the path that's channeled to kill you interesting like that, that sounds like okay how do i do that you know like how do i draw the rest of the owl <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but like on most of these games, there are 
um, shots that are safer, like statistically, um, because they're designed to be. Okay. And so you have to like figure out, okay, like this is the safe shot and then this is the risky shot. And, you know, if I nudge it this way when it's coming down, it'll change onto a slightly different path that's safer. And if you do that repeatedly, then, you know, you're going to do like 50% better than you would if you were just randomly flipping. Yeah. Wow. But it's still, it's still like a statistics thing because you're not going to get it right all the time. Not with that attitude. No, that's really interesting. That brings to mind those things where it'll get like stuck somewhere and then like make some sounds and then just like rocket back towards the yeah. exit. What yeah. is the bottom called? Um, the drain. The drain. Yeah. The drain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a drain is a water exit. It's true. Also a ball exit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, new idea. Pinball, except instead of a ball, it's water. <laughs> wow i'm just trying to how, how do you how do you score <laughs> uh <laughs> you hit the water so it goes around and like bounces off all the bumpers <laughs> but there's a there's a lot of like the shoot that you normally can hit stuff up the 3d shoot that's like a big straw yeah yeah you would instead you would like uh you'd have a squirt gun down there <laughs> some tiny buckets Instead of flippers. Yeah, maybe, think, okay. maybe pot- this, this game already exists. It's one of those carnival games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, is this like those like tiny things uh, where it's like the little rubber rings suspended in water yeah. and then you like squeeze the... <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you like squeeze the sides and try... Try to knock down the target. To no avail. Yeah. Yeah, I was born in 1979. So, I remember trying to have fun with those... Before the Game Boy was invented. Water Game Boys. Yeah. I've also seen, like, I think I saw one of those that was branded, that was supposed to look like a PSP, but it was just <laughs> one of those water ring games. Wow. <laughs> That's like that video of the kids opening Christmas presents and then it's just like avocados. <laughs> wow, it's an avocado. Thanks. <laughs> that is what... The PSP water water Game Boy is. Can we move on? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just getting really uncomfortable thinking about this PSP water Game Boy. It just feels like... Okay, new idea. New idea. Pachinko except it's oil droplets in water. Okay. Oh, that sounds yeah, cool. That. Yeah. That sounds really fun to watch. Yeah. Like it'd be really pretty. Depending gonna, on the color scheme. Yeah. I'm going to Google Pachinko oil timers. It could be, it could be like a lava lamp. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be really cool. I want this to happen. I'm not going to do it, but I want it to happen. This is the next thing to simulate in the in the fantasy in Galapagos, which is now a well-specced toolkit and set of formats for creating physically impossible, but physically accurate pinball machines. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you, either of you played Noita? Yes. I haven't played it, but I know about it. Does that do rubber? Is there any rubber in that game? Uh, you can get bouncy spells. <laughs> yeah. So if it's if it's like a falling sand game, then it would have something called rubber that might not actually behave like rubber. <laughs> right. I remember the falling sand game that I played in high school had had a rubber, like little pink rubber balls that would just like bounce around everywhere. Right, right. 
super ball particles. But it also yeah. has the rigid body sim though. Like it's it's a weird hybrid. Oh. Noita does? Yeah. yeah. Noita is is fire pachinko where there's fire everywhere and the thing falling through the pins is like your body. Right. <laughs> your your dead body yeah. and all your individual bones. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking like I bet you could reconstruct pinball in in Noita. Oh, definitely. Mm. I love that game. Except the last time I tried to play it, I was really bad at it because it had been a while and I was like, I can't, I won't. So, fuck that game. <laughs> <laughs> Asterisk. Uh, are we ready for another topic? I'm ready. My topic is the trade-off between customer satisfaction and worker safety. So, there's a, a cafe that my wife loves uh, where they used to make eggs uh, using the espresso machine steamer arm. So, they would like... They would, they would scramble the eggs and then like stick the steamer arm into the bowl of eggs and and make scrambled eggs that way. Whoa. And people loved it, but like workers kept burning themselves. So, they changed the process to make the eggs in a pan like plebes. Whoa. And people didn't like it as much. It was like, what happened to your eggs? And eventually, they changed the process back to... I don't know if they're like, they just decided a certain amount of workers comp is worth it. They changed the process back to making the eggs with a steamer arm. Do they have like a big black egg gauntlet? That, not that <laughs> I've seen, but that would make sense. <laughs> I kind of want to go, I want to witness this someday, but also like it, it has such a tainted story. It's like, you know that if you watch this happen, like people are getting burned back there and you you know you shouldn't be watching this and enjoying it. Oh maybe they only maybe now you maybe now you need to be licensed. I don't know. <laughs> licensed to be in a dangerous occupation. That's right, yeah. yeah. They probably have a, a glove that protects their arm that they never wash. <laughs> and it it smells but doesn't look like bad eggs. Right, right. When you were saying eggs in the steamer arm, I was imagining like you'll see the thing where people have like a shop vac and a beach ball where like if you, <laughs> you point the shop vac up, the beach ball will like get stuck in the airflow above it. Oh, I guess it's the opposite. Like it's blowing out and it's like keeping it. I was imagining like steam floating an egg like that. But that seems like an even worse idea. So, maybe they started there and kind of worked backwards. Right. I mean, I, I think an egg wouldn't be held aloft by that. I think the surface area to I think the density is all wrong. Wait, what's the That's word true. for so density is a uh, uh, mass divided by volume? Yeah, is there a word for mass divided by surface area? Uh, pressure. Yeah. All right. So the egg, yeah. the the pressure of the egg is too high for the steam. <laughs> <laughs> what's the pressure of an egg? <laughs> That's one of those ungoogleable phrases like what's the volume of a parakeet? Because <laughs> it's, it's forbidden knowledge. It's not because it's impossible to find. It's because it shouldn't be found. Right, right. Google doesn't want you to find it. So, they give you a bunch of results about people complaining their birds are too loud. <laughs> I'm going to look up pressure of an egg. <laughs> Oh, I just got the egg in the egg in the bottle where the egg gets sucked into a bottle. That's a fun one. That is a fun video. You can't be mad when you see that video. 
It's an acceptable response to the query. <laughs> it's what Google should show you whenever it can't figure out what you mean. <laughs> it's like, okay, you fucked up, Google. You fucked up bad, but it's okay because I get to see an egg sucked into a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's times when you're searching for something and the words are, they're just a little too generic and it's hard to find the thing that you're looking for. And it seems like Google kind of knows that that would be a good time for the egg. Yeah. It's just like, listen, we... Listen, we threw away like four of your words in that search. We know it's on us. Here's your egg. I also just can't imagine... I, yeah, I really want to see these steam scrambled eggs. I just can't imagine... I should, I should ask my wife to, to film it. Yes. But only, only if it's safe for everyone involved. <laughs> and every... Like, make sure that the egg gauntlet is in shot so that, you know, people know to not try it at home without an egg gauntlet. Oh, yeah. They might think we're gathering evidence. <laughs> That's true. You never know who's watching these days. I just, I have trouble imagining this happening in a way that doesn't end with the entire interior of the store part of the scrambled eggs, like a very thin layer of scrambled eggs everywhere. Oh, yeah. So, you just you just lick the walls instead of ordering the eggs. <laughs> So, I, I have a friend who has my old espresso machine I, as payment for this. I don't think he ever actually – I don't think he bought it from me. I think like we used to be roommates and when I moved out, he kept the espresso machine because I didn't really want it. I should just ask him to make scrambled eggs and film it and try not to hurt himself doing it. <laughs> you might go to jail for that. Wouldn't be the first time I went to jail for something I – thought of on this podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Yeah, just in the interest of keeping you out of jail. <laughs> this is a write-in. John asks, skipping over links to music when your friends post them and in turn posting links to music without a shred of self-awareness slash the mental barrier to recommending or sharing music. So, I think there are two things to discuss here. And one is that recommendations are basically a demand on someone else's time. You're, you're, you're asking them like you should spend your time to care about the things that I care about. And the other thing is like since I turned like 30, it's been very uh, much more taxing, mentally taxing for me to listen to new music. And so, I've been doing much less of it. Yeah. I really, when I read this one, I, I felt it so bad. Yeah. My... <laughs> My friends and I have a Facebook group that we started five or six years ago, which is called Listen to This, which is literally just for music recommendations because people would throw them in our group chat and then nobody would listen to them. But it didn't solve the problem. It's just like every maybe six months, somebody posts a song there and is like, wow, I'm really into this song, guys. Check it out. And it maybe it gets a like sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's kind of related to the phenomenon of like, like anywhere on social media, if you just post about a thing you like or a thing you're doing, it gets almost no response unless it ties in with something that the audience themselves is already into. Right. That's so true. I wonder if there's a way to quantify it. Like, I think you like recommending people watch fun, like funny or whatever YouTube videos it is similar. It's not, I feel like it's not quite as personal as music, but if your friend is like, Hey, watch this YouTube video. 
and and you click on it and it's 20 seconds long you say to yourself like oh hell yes i can watch this but if it's 20 minutes long like that friend just they're standing in your eyes may have just gone down a little bit unless it's something that you both know you're both into (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like that's that was the beauty of vine yeah Do, do tiktoks have like a length limit i don't know but they're they're not that long. It seems to me not ever being on TikTok that that TikTok has improved on the Vine formula. That might be a hot take, but it does seem like that to me. Yeah, I think they might have they might have better recommendation because I've definitely read some articles where it's like, oh yeah, you can find these really niche things on TikTok. Yeah, that's cool. Recommend I think recommending TikToks to people is pretty you, it's hard to go wrong with that because even if it's bad you'll be forgiven and a lot of them are really really good yeah it's hard to get mad at somebody for wasting 20 seconds of your life that's not true that's like i don't know if you've ever been in traffic <laughs> are you familiar with traffic <laughs> no nope. i don't know i don't know what i was thinking 20 seconds is huge i can't believe you recommended this shitty video to me i'm never gonna lay up that time back <laughs> Why even post anything at all if you're going to waste my time? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're like about to post this to somebody and you're like, am I wasting my own time? <laughs> I th- uh, Jim, what you said about like having trouble listening to new music. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not yet 30. I'm, I'm technically now, I'm 27, so I'm technically in my late 20s now. Yeah. Which makes me sad, but I don't know if this is, <laughs> I don't know if y'all are older than me, so maybe this isn't the place to complain about it. But if a band that you like or a group that you like, like releases something new, that that is like if somebody sent you an album. Like for me, it's like when something comes out, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try really hard to like this. <laughs> I'm going to give it, I'm going to try to give it a good listen and I'm going to do everything I can. And a lot of times it just doesn't stick. Like I find that if I listen to something less than like 10 times, I just don't like it, which is weird. But, but that's already having like so much goodwill. So like if somebody just sends you something that they like, that's not, if you want to like something that you already like, it takes so much. So like, if you want to like something that somebody else likes, it's like, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> There's definitely, I, I I wish I could remember what this used to be like for me where I feel like I used to pick up new music and enjoy it effortlessly. And now I really do Neil, I feel like I need to listen to an album five or six times before I even hear it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to tell it. I get that too. Um, Something, something I realized that this is true across basically all media for me now is that I can't just passively consume it like I used to. Because, you know, like, like if you're a kid and it's your first time seeing like a hero's journey story or you're like, oh, you know, the coming of age or whatever. And uh, you're like, wow, I'm really into this. By the time you've seen like 20 of them, like you, yeah. don't, you don't know what, what you're supposed to see in this other than an upper version of that story. So now like my attitude towards it is like there's basically two kinds of media for me. The first kind is the kind that goes in the background while I'm doing something else. And then the second kind is the kind I actively study. Mm-hmm. 
And like, if I'm studying it, I kind of have to motivate myself with like, oh, I'm doing it in relationship to this other thing that I'm doing, which, you know, in doing like video game stuff or doing right now with the pinball stuff, it's pretty easy for me to be motivated in that direction. Right. But if I were doing something else, it it would be like, why am I looking at this? Yeah. That's a good point about the, the, you know, it's like the 20th, this is my 20th hero's journey. If you want to like something or even actively listen or watch or play, it's not like work work, but it's kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I have a new game that I've wanted to play, I won't play it until I have like a long, like at least a couple hours that I can sit down and play it. And I don't have like anything else. Like, I don't know if there's anything else that's entertaining that's sort of easier i find myself just defaulting because it's like i gotta really pay attention to this to to get into it and like i don't know if i'm ready for that maybe i'll just watch the slow-mo guys tear down a pinball machine on youtube instead (laughs) (laughs) yeah i hear you it makes me sad though because because i mean so jim you said that when you turned about 30 that was when it became harder to listen to music. But are you sure it wasn't when you were finished being 17 years old? Yeah, because at least in my early to mid-20s, I was listening to a ton of new stuff. Okay, okay. I don't miss a lot of things from high school, but one of them is like how much I got into the music that I was listening to. Well, or even just how much you got into anything. Yeah. It's so much easier to like things when you're a teenager. Yeah. And also so much easier to hate things. It's it's just you you feel everything much more strongly. Sad. <laughs> I'm I'm like doing some volunteering stuff with some high school high schoolers right now. So I'm gonna tell them I'm gonna be like, hey kids, here's my old man advice to you. Listen to music really hard. <laughs> Listen to as much music as possible. Yeah. If you're going to hate but make it. sure it's good. Make sure <laughs> yeah. it's good. Yeah. Yeah, here's some Lincoln Park. <laughs> That's right, though. <laughs> that is why I love Lincoln Park. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. I think so. James, your topic is relearning how to run. So, this story, when I was back in, like, middle school, high school, you know, they would do, like, the mile run and, you know, timing on it. And I would be, like, barely jogging. Yeah. There was something I probably was missing back then that I didn't realize I was missing. I'm just like, oh, this is difficult and I don't feel like doing it, which, you know, is a very typical like teenager type of thing. But more recently, I'm like, you know, I I do like pursuing fitness generally, you know, getting better at stuff. And most of my focus has been on like, oh, how do I do like weight training better, you know? What supplements do I take? And then, like, the, the supplements thing kind of led me to, oh, here are, like, runner supplements. And there's, like, because for each sport, there's actually a set of supplements that they recommend, which is something, like, that I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? Because you are, like, straining different parts of your body, doing these different activities. So I'm like, okay, I'll take, like, this magnesium. And so I took magnesium, and I'm like, Wow, my knees don't have that little ache in them anymore. 
That does sound nice. And so, so I was like, okay, maybe I can jog a little. So like gradually, like over probably the past two years, like I've put a little bit of jogging into my, my walk sometimes. And it was just like, okay, how do I jog better? Right. And my first thought was one of the things that I did back when I was in high school and had trouble running was I realized I was just kind of lurching forward on, on like my my ankles and putting more strain on them than I needed to probably. I'm like, well, what if I just focused on putting my feet underneath like my center of gravity and like made that the goal of my running? And so I'm, I, I'll do this like very slow jog where I'm just like, put my foot up, make sure my hips are, are like placed so that I can put my foot down beneath them. And I did that for probably the past year, year and a half. And then more recently, I was like, okay, what if I looked at my form and tried to get like faster? Like how do, how do actual runners run? Because I hadn't actually looked at that. And so, you know, I looked on YouTube and I found someone who's studying like, here's a, a really fast runner and see how she's, she's doing this training run. And what I realized was I wasn't using my hips very much, like I wasn't swinging them. So it's like, oh, that's interesting. So the next time I go out, I try swinging my hips around, like, like kind of whipping them almost. And like, that's actually a lot easier than whatever it was I was doing before. That's so like, oh. Yeah, you know, like this very basic thing that you learn when you're a toddler, you can still like relearn it, which is kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess that happens, doesn't it? Yeah, my um, relearning how to run story was when I was back, back when I was jogging every day for exercise, I got a pair of uh, Vibram Five Fingers, which is or was i don't know if they still make them uh i uh is that the toe shoes yeah it's the toe shoes it's it's the shoe that is just like uh basically just a a very thin sole and that's it and the purpose of these is to force you into the kind of jogging posture or jogging i don't know jogging gait maybe that you would have if you were running around barefoot but with a modicum of protection so on a on a hard surface like a road, you can't land with your heel down because it hurts too much. Whoa! So what you're doing instead is you you spring around on your toes, and so I spent about a year like just running around like that, and it was just like it it was a very different set of muscles that were being strained when I was running like that versus when I was running with the heel strike. Yeah, I have stories about those shoes too. I did use a pair of them. Like I, I got like went through like two or three pairs 10 years ago. Um, and I, I kind of liked them, but I was just walking around and I tried running like once or twice, but I hadn't actually fixed my running form at that point. So like it, it was kind of lost on me. It was like, this is still difficult. Well, the, the purpose of the purpose of the Vibrams isn't to make it easier. It's to be better for your knees. Yeah. And like, I, I think because I wasn't supplementing at that point, I still had an issue. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my, my brother's story with these, he also got a pair. I think he got them like a, a few years after I did. And like he did cross country back in high school. And so he's, he's been running for a long time. And so he goes out and he just runs full speed in them for like a, a week or two. 
And then the next time he calls me, he's like, I got a fracture in my foot. Don't tell mom. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Yeah. So like, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where it can work if you train yourself into them carefully, like a lot of exercise equipment. Yeah. Right. Just this idea of like, walking running i mean it's kind of interesting how like everybody kind of walks differently and and just that you can change this kind of like your like how it works when you run which so to me i just think of it as something like super automatic so the fact that it's changeable is crazy yeah yeah also also i got a good one ready ready magnesium get it knees magnesium okay sure yeah all right that's why they called it that's why they call it magnesium i'll allow it i don't like it but i get (laughs) it so funny yeah i haven't been to a i haven't gotten like a regular doctor checkup in a long time which is a problem on its own i'm not gonna go now for obvious reasons but i think that they're gonna tell me that i need to do cardio exercise so maybe running is in my very near future and maybe i will not get the toe shoes sounds like is the recommendation i'm hearing so the i didn't get a fracture and this i think was because i wasn't conditioned to just run full tilt for a week i would say this is also a condition of my brother being very strong-willed yeah <laughs> fighting the toe shoes yeah instead of he'll, he'll working tend, with he'll, them he'll tends to do things like this where he'll like when he was in grad school, he would like sit in the chair for like six hours studying. I don't know how he does. I guess I do something sort of like that sometimes, but I think I'm more, I need to move around. Yeah. Yeah. Studying to full tilt. The toe shoes would not give you a fracture in that use case where you're just wearing them while you study. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my actual recommendation would be to get like an elliptical machine. Okay. You only get the one set of joints. Yeah, true. I can just, I can do what I did before, which is just take my like big blue scooter and go scootering yeah. like a, like a grown adult, but it's actually so fun. Yeah, no, I, I, so had, I had one of those for a while. I actually went for two of them and they're still there, but I think they're in various states of broken. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was my commute machine and it was, I mean, I haven't had to use it in a long time, but... Did uh, you take it on the freeway? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those things really go. (laughs) Uh, That's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Chris, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Sure. I'm at uh, MRChrisLHall on Twitter. Let me make sure that that's right, which I always have to do for some reason. Yeah, at MrChrisLHall on Twitter. You could change it to something easier to remember and invalidate all of these segments on Topic Lords. I know. There's so many Chris L. Halls in the world that, you know, I just had to kind of do the permutation that made sense or that I could get. That used to be a problem for me too. Before Storm Dancer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So many Jim Crawfords. You could have just eliminated all the other Crawfords. There was a, my favorite example of this was when I Googled my name and I found erotic short fiction about <laughs> a gay lumberjack named Jim Crawford. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's incredible. Well, clearly you cannot eliminate all the Jim Crawfords. So you just, right. <laughs> you just competed by not competing. Right.
Uh, and, and James, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Triple Fox. There's a different James Hoffman on the internet who does coffee videos that are really great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes under, under James's name. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on. Thanks yeah. so much for having me again. I really enjoy these. Also, I haven't caught up with you guys in so long, so it's nice to, nice to chat. Yeah, that's part of the reason I do this. Yeah, I had a good time. All right, we've got some supplemental material coming for you where uh, Chris is true to his word. He's microwaving a mug of Coke. We're going to find out if that's a terrible idea. It's probably going to be flat at the end. It's going to make me sad. All right, let's do a little bit of of ASMR here. Yeah, can a beverage be hot and carbonated? I got uh, one of those beverage carbonators. I forget the name of it now, but it was one of the ones that you get at Bed Bath & Beyond. Like the Soda Stream? Soda Stream. Soda Stream. Yeah, you've yeah, mentioned yeah. that before. And they are real explicit about how like, don't be a fuck up and try to carbonate anything other than water. <laughs> because like, it's not calibrated for that and you'll, you know, you'll destroy it. And now I'm sad I can't like carbonate soup. Yeah, like what about milk? That'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, it'll be it would be something anyway. Can you carbonate like flat soda? Yeah, I don't know. And according to everything I've read about that from the support forums, you should definitely not do that. <laughs> Just the water. <laughs> Dang, my friend Co, you know Co, Co had has one of those and swears yeah. by it that it's one of the most incredible things. Soda stream is great. You can you can have soda anytime. Yeah. I drink a relatively lot of LaCroix. And even though like, you know, doing LaCroix flavors a little bit like Pokemon trading cards is kind of part of the joy of it. I just like to drink a lot of it too. Sure. <laughs> Every time I turn my microwave on, my wireless headphones are making this weird like computer beeping like old internet on a modem sound and it's a little bit yeah yeah they're just going yeah. nuts like oh this, this signal we've got a signal on all the frequencies <laughs> it has the signature of coke being microwaved <laughs> it's still not hot enough wait that that means that means that it might be possible to engineer a way to hack things using a microwave that'd be awesome wow yeah. There's got to be a way. There's got to be like a speed run of Super Mario 64 where you have to turn on a microwave at just the right time to to flip a bit with a solar <laughs> <Yeah>. ray. <laughs> <laughs> microwave percent. Yeah. <laughs> Is it hot enough yet? No. I, it's been in... It went in for a minute and a half already and it wasn't hot enough. Now we're coming on two and a half minutes. This Okay, this is not just a, a tiny microwave. This is also like the weakest microwave I've ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, maybe it scales with size. Like, you know, normal microwaves go up to 10. This one might only go up to like 7. All right, now, okay, now it's actually hot. It's bubbling like crazy. I don't know if you can hear this. The sound of probably not being able to hear anything. <laughs> There's a lot of noise. This makes me deeply uncomfortable. Do you ever like make, you know, you make tea, tea's good. You put honey in it, but you accidentally put about eight times as much honey as you wanted to in it. 
uh, what happens to me is that I like, I keep trying to put honey in tea and it's just like, it doesn't taste any different. And then you put more honey in and it doesn't taste any different. And you realize that you were just not stirring anywhere near oh, enough. Oh, and it's all at the bottom. And all, all the honey is at the bottom. That's what happens to me. Yeah. Honey doesn't like to dissolve even in like nuclear hot water. Also, this is like not bad. <laughs> it, it it does taste like it to me it just tastes like tea it's like so sweet and it's it's weird having that when it's also not really cold like it's very different like i don't know if i would choose to drink this because the carbonation with it is a little weird and it's just like hot and in my face so it's still carbonated kind of i think the carbonation is just about gone because every time it comes out of the microwave it's like tons of carbonation going Right. Like it doesn't have that tongue tingle, which I think must mean most of the carbonation has gone. So, we got the thumbs up. The th- Yeah, more than halfway up. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> I'm not going to finish. Am I going to? No, if I finish this, I'll never go to sleep. I guess I can't finish it. I'll just, yeah, I'll just, I'll leave this cup out and then tomorrow when it's cool again, I'll bring it over to your house and soda stream it so I can put it back in the bottle. <laughs> okay all right it's a date so let it be known you didn't finish it but not because you didn't taste bad not because it tasted bad it was because you wanted to go to sleep later if it was lunchtime right now i would 100 percent finish it all right that that's how good that's how good microwaved coke is this is how i lost all credibility Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.